Tension in games. Hi, my friends. In the next segments, I will talk about features that make, in my humble opinion, games exciting. And then a bit later about features that make games boring, with a few examples here and there so that you know what I'm talking about. Game is game for many reasons, but one reason that I think unites us all is that playing a game is a little like a proving ground, where you go from state A to state B with certain defined rules. State A and state B can have various forms, sometimes they are very close, but usually it is a bit like doing an experiment in chemistry, by throwing different reagents into a test tube and only ending the experiment when a certain predefined state has been reached. Let's take a game known to us all, chess. It begins with a certain state of symmetry between two sides that is then shaken by one simple rule. One player at a time has to move one piece at a time, and when he, she lands on the space with a figure by the opponent, that figure is destroyed. This immediately creates the concept of threat, as each figure can potentially be the next to move somewhere, and all spaces to which these figures can move to are in danger. The game ends when the threat level is so high that one designated figure, the king which represents the life force of one side, cannot move anywhere without being under immediate threat. Experiment over, further movement is not possible without a life being taken. Interestingly enough, that doesn't happen. No real chess player actually goes through with physically removing the king. Threatening is all it takes to win. Of course, the possibilities of experiments are virtually endless, like life itself. Let's look at experiments that create some kind of tension. We all want to give our best when playing a game, but the nature of the proving ground is that there are obstacles that have to be overcome. These obstacles can take on many forms and have become extremely refined in modern gaming culture. Let's look at a model that in my opinion is relatively fresh and new, and for which the German gaming lingo has only recently coined the term Mangelspiele or shortage games. Nobody wants to play a game which all resources are limitless and where you can do anything and where everything you do will succeed. This is why role-playing games become boring when you're 50th level and no monster is a challenge anymore. They are rather interesting, though, when you're handicapped in some way, when you achieve more with less. This is why the so-called empire-building games always have a certain fascination. You start small with very little and build up your power by clever management of your resources. Monopoly was probably the first empire-building game ever. Then a completely new idea. You start with a handful of money, which you then use to invest. The more property you own, the bigger your income will be, your empire grows under your hands. But you constantly are under the challenge that investing too much will be dangerous for you. A much more interesting empire-building game is Puerto Rico. Here you are less prone on the roll of the dice, but interact with a complex gaming environment. But still you are basically expanding an empire, in this case plantations and buildings. Puerto Rico has several commodities, not only money, but also victory points, people colonists, and different kinds of produce. The interaction between these commodities makes the game interesting. But at its heart, it is still close to Monopoly. Invest and reap what you sow. Outpost, which later became Scepter of Savandar, introduced a new element into empire-building games. Not only did you have to constantly build up your empire, but you also had to carefully juggle its productivity in competition with a game system that punishes you severely once you fall behind. Outpost was particularly harsh in that respect. Once you didn't jump to a new level of productivity in time, the game basically was lost, as you saw your competitors race away without any chance to catch on. This aspect was actually lessened in the new edition of Scepter of Savandor. Recently, the new shortage-type games take this concept a bit further even. I will give you two recent examples which I personally like that do this, both by the same author. The first is Notre Dame. Notre Dame has each player compete in several categories and you will be punished severely if you fail in any of them. 
but the game mechanics make it absolutely impossible to succeed in all of them by limiting your possibilities each turn. I just say one word, rats. Anybody who has played the game knows that it's bad for you if the rat population grows. If you constantly fight your rat population, you will be free of rats, but probably lose the game, as you spend actions better used in the competition with other players. But if you ignore the rats, there will be a point when they will punish you so severely that you will lose as well. In a way, it is a very stressful lose-lose situation, and only by juggling it carefully you will have a chance to win. The slightly newer In the Year of the Dragon not only has rats, but a long row of disasters and tests lined up for all the players from turn one on. It is absolutely impossible to avoid all punishments, but you can only win if you expand your empire with as little punishment as possible. You always have too little of everything, too little money, too little workers, too few palaces, and so on. This is what I mean with shortage game. Shortage of everything is so apparent and pervades every layer of the game that it puts the players under stress from turn one. One might argue that these are games for masochists, and in a way that's true. But they define a certain new trend in games that achieves tension through the lack of things instead of only competition. We will see what new games this trend will produce. Certainly they were the dominating kind of games this essen. Until next time, when Koreans traditionally kiss each other under a wad of kimchi while dancing cha-cha-cha. Bye-bye. Random strategy tip for ASL Starter Kit number one. A rather simple game, this ASL Starter Kit, only 10 pages of rules, but I can give you a little tip. Your squad might have been hit by FFMO, first fire movement in open ground, once too often, and the PBF, point-blank fire, might have worn you guys down via countless NMCs, normal morale checks, and even LLMCs, leader loss morale checks, or LLTCs, leader loss task checks, which will cause havoc in your RTPH, route phase, because self-rallying is rather difficult when you're under a DM, desperation morale. If you have to get close to a defender who has good TEMs, Tyran effect modifiers, always consider using your smoke exponent to avoid defensive first fire, subsequent first defensive fire, or any SSRs or scenario-specific rules the opponent might use against you. Don't be scared of the CX exhaust counter. It will still enable you to cross inherent terrain using the advance phase. Or even better, use assault movement to avoid the dreaded FFNAMM or first fire non-assault movement modifier. This will enable you to KTBOYO, kick the butt of your opponent, and make him CA H-O-A-G-U-T-G, cries hideout and give up the game. Especially if you threaten him with A-S-L-S-I-J, the advanced squad leader stupid Spanish Inquisition joke. No one expects a Spanish Inquisition. Our weapon is supplies, supplies and fear, fear and supply. Ah, shut up, Terry Jones. And if you understood anything that I just said, you're an idiot, like me.